0: This is the forty-second episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhards. With me, as always, are my excellent co-hosts Robinson Sian and Christopher Wikström. To you, the listeners, we would like to say thank you for tuning in and welcome. Good morning. Oh no, good evening. Uh- Hello, everybody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Hello, hi, hi, everybody.
2: Hello everybody and welcome to the 42nd episode, shout out to all Douglas Adams fans and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy.
0: Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the Top Tech app. In this week's episode, we will give some paper play reports and continue our discussions about the upcoming GothCon, looking specifically at sideboards. After that, the clouds gather around the headquarters of the Basic Land Connoisseur panel as this distinguished art society takes on the storm archetype. But first up, paper play, Robin, what have you been up to and have you had any insights on your sideboarding? as of late. Alright,
1: so paper play is growing in the in Stockholm community as the pandemic fades from our memory. And last Thursday we were 16 players, which it has been like uh, growing like one person each week or something like that, but steadily growing happily. And uh, the most play deck was actually Alluren with two players. And I was playing Blastoise Stompy, obviously. My own version of uh, Kappa cast, sporting 4 emery, 4 psi, 4 kappa, 8 baubles, only 2 targets, the foundry and the spear, 4 mocks and only 3 petals, 4 force of wheels and 4 chalices seven draw twos, that is cutting one of the thought monitors, and then 16 lands, of course, of which two were Ottawaras. And I was trying out my usual sideboard, but with the spicy addition of two winter orbs to beat up on the control decks that I have been struggling with. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, in game one, I actually faced off against Aluren, and uh, in the first match, we traded blows, But then I managed to resolve a quite fast Blastoise. And uh, he didn't really have any answers. He was like holding a a living wish. Considering to grabbing one of those mazes. To keep it under check. But uh, he was not able to pay the the ward tax. And in uh, game 2. I actually drew both of my Winter Orbs, but like one one is enough, obviously. And I I get to tap it with Blastoise, which is which is kind of cool to do. Like Winter Orb was uh, really like locking out of the game, even if he had gotten me with the Hull Breacher earlier, and so we had a little treasure chest to use. But like as soon as those mana were were over, he was not able to keep up with the tempo that Winter Orb was creating for me. So I think in those games where you can land an early threat or just get ahead on mana, the winter orbs are really good.
2: Yeah, like in a matchup like that, especially, because for them to keep up with you, they have to commit a uh, mana. Yeah. You know, if, if they want to play an allure and stuff like that, it's, yeah, you're really putting yourself in a vulnerable position if you want to tap out and try and resolve a haymaker, especially if you're boarding in extra forces or just sitting on one force, then it's like game over. Pretty much, so it's a super scary
0: sideboard card for the eight cast to have. I'm just gonna say that back in my day, we tapped our winter orbs with icy manipulators as you're supposed to. But uh,
1: like the scary thing is, of course, the mana birds. And I didn't see any mana birds in his deck. I'm not really sure if he did play any, but like that is a consideration. If he has mana birds, then maybe the winter orb is not so good against that particular deck in game too. I faced off against the Jeskai Hull deck, the bane of my kappa-cast existence. And I was not able to draw any of the sideboard cards, uh, nor were I fast enough to punish his rather clunky deck. So he won two of the games quite decisively, I should say. So I'm I'm still, still not happy about that matchup and still doesn't really feel... Favored, and I think that deck is a little bit too common to like have that kind of bad matchup in your repertoire. Anyway, in game three, I face a really spicy red and black burn deck. It's like that meme you know when you talk about playing Bump in the Night in burn, splashing black. <laughs> but he was actually playing like like a self damage kind of burn, playing that new Skyclave Death Shadow esque creature. So that was kind of cool, and in game one, I I really didn't grasp how how to like play against that creature. So I I did a few like very ill-advised attacks that grew that guy quite a lot, and he managed to squeeze game one from me. But uh, in game two and game three, I managed to sheet uh, Shadow Spear into play, and then protect it with uh, counter spells from his artifact hate, and that was. Like, just too OP against the burn deck. And uh, in the final game, I faced off against Christopher on his signature deck, Aloran. It was uh, really good games, but I will let you talk a little bit more about that. Some some final thoughts on, on like, the deck, the viability, the sideboarding, and so on. You know, there's been, uh, like, an event on Magic Online where you can buy a ticket and get like a a god account and so you can use any cards so people are really trying out the kappas now online as they have been really expensive before but now you can like test them and i was watching brian coval playing kappa on his stream and it felt like the meta game is so ready for that deck he was facing off against white and green depths who were sporting Two Seeds of Innocence in the sideboard. That's nasty. That's really nasty. So um, I'm a little bit hesitant if the, if it really is a good idea to bring Kappa cast to Gothenburg and the GothCon event. Because I think if people are ready for that deck, it's going to be a lot of hate. And uh, I think that people will be ready for this deck. We'll see how the rest of the testing goes. But I think I would have to prepare more for the fair matchups than I would want to do so to say in the sideboard to have a fighting chance in the sideboarded games All Right? how did it go for you christopher
2: i decided to start preparing for the gafcon tournament and i decided to try to just put a 60 card and learn together uh, i've been rocking the yorian list for quite a while but i do think that uh, the deck is just solid enough uh, with 60 cards also. I'm not really sure what is better because they're, they kind of feel like two different decks almost, but I brought a 60 card version. I can put my deck list in the show notes or in the discord for everyone to see later, if you're interested. And I started off my evening by playing against a Jeskai control player who was not playing the Days Undoing Hullbridge combo, but Rad was playing Expressive Iteration, Merc Tides, Teferis, and Jaceus, and I I lent him the Merc Tides that he killed me with in in round one. <laughs> oh man! But it was it was uh, it was super good games. I think the matchup is a bit tricky uh, because Teferi is super annoying if you're playing Alern, especially like you're kind of relying a lot about. Removal not really mattering, and you having your harpy and stuff like that. But if they haven't a Teferian play, you can't do the harpy trick with Uro as an example. Because it's uh, only sorcery speed. So the triggers have to resolve. And then Uro ends up in the graveyard. Uh, but also they can just sort the plowshares it if they're scared of you escaping it. And stuff like that. So it's super annoying. And game two, I drew two creatures. <laughs> like maybe 18 cards deep or something like that. So that was a bit disappointing. But I almost got there. I was uh, really riding high on a grist. Uh, my homie, until it got Prismatic ending
0: Oh, boo. Boo,
2: yeah, I know. Like, Grist is, is such a homie.
0: Grist is so good. Like, can we recognize this once more? Like, how amazing is
2: this card? The fairer oko I can't uh, praise this card enough. I, I really love me a Grist. And, uh, but yeah, I did lose the first round 0-2. And uh, it, was, it was quite rough, but it happens. And, you know, if you're playing a deck like this against a... Uh, Control deck that also has efficient frets uh, like Tide. It's a very small mana investment to put something massive into play. I do play six quote unquote Strixes, but if you draw two creatures in a game, it's uh, it it might not really matter. So round two, I played a I played against Esper Blade, and this is one of those matchups that I really do enjoy because it's it's kind of grindy, and you have to be sort of careful. With your Aluren also. They do have a lot of answers. They can put some annoying creature like Cauldron to play. And this specific player is also playing uh, Skyclave Apparition. Which is uh, very scary if they can cast for free and just exile your Aluren. So the games I won was pretty much by grinding him out. And uh, it's uh, one of those things where you just have to keep the Stoneforge off tapping, like having the chance of putting Cauldra into play. And if they do get up to seven mana and cast Cauldre, like have your counter war about that because the rest of your cards are going to outmatch your opponents. You just have to make sure that the Cauldra doesn't hit play and maybe not even care about the combo. It's good to have, but it's not necessary. It's one of those good, I know that I am so far ahead now that I can just play it and see if I win. But a lot of times it's it's not necessary. So I won that uh, 2-0. And then I went on to play against Maverick. This is a matchup that's just getting scarier and scarier and scarier each set. Uh, because normally uh, the deck used to play stuff like Teague. Which uh, prevents you from casting Aluren. Which is super annoying. But you know in time they they might be getting cards like Skyclave Apparition, they're boarding in chokes, and everyone's favorite new card, Busseju, which can just uncounterably destroy Lurin, which is super scary to play against. So game one, I do get to just grind my opponent out. I had one of those really disgusting starts with like a turn one a mana bird, turn two Grist into Ponder Uro uh, something. It was just like super nasty. And my opponent was just sitting there like, oh god, what's going on? But game two, I, I, thought, I, I thought I had the game locked locked, like locked and loaded. Like, I'm not sure how, how I'm losing this one. But then my opponent just tapped four mana. So I'm, I'm sitting with a Grist in play. I have uh, a Quattle and a Bird and one Insect. I'm sitting with a grist in play. I just minused it to kill, like a, I don't know, like a knight of the reliquary or something. My opponent taps four mana and puts a questing beast into play, swings me for four, kills my grist, and eventually, like I, I, I lose <laughs> from these cards. Like they're just killing me so much faster than I can kill the opponent. But uh, yeah, game three was one of those matchups where you re- realize that you're a combo player and the opponent is not. And uh, it's, a, it's a combo kill. So it's uh, pretty clean, you know. I just play my things, I destroy some of his things, and then I just play And I had Living Wished for a Azerirak, and I drew my other Azerirak. So I had the double response Azerirak with a harpy in hand. So it was just like, I hope you have removal <laughs> How many removal are you gonna need for this pile? Like four. So it's, it it was pretty good. But this leads us to the last round of the evening, which Robin sent over. And uh, yeah, this is this is the co-host showdown. Yep. Because we both want to get the free one and get those some of those uh, store credits. And like it's it's a super scary matchup for both of us. I think the thing is, I can kill from nearly out of nowhere, and you have so efficient threats and card advantage and forces, especially after sideboard and stuff like that, which just makes the matchup super scary. But game one, I might have taken the role or the, the title as the greatest thief in the multiverse <laughs> from Dak Faden, because we're sitting in this situation where I have resolved Aluren, but I did Harpy Quattle, and drew down to one life. And I didn't find like Uro or a Zerorak. So I'm sitting there, and my hand is literally literally like double force, which I can't force and pitch anything, because I'm at one. And uh, two birds of paradise, a ponder, and a brainstorm. And I'm sitting like, all I need to do is untap, play some cantrips, and I'll win. So Robin takes his turn at At this stage, he has like Emery, Thought Monitor. You have uh, two Ursa Ursa tokens, which are massive. And uh, you just untap and you play Chalice on one. And I look at my cantrips and I'm like, oh man. So anyways, he starts beating. And uh, you know, the first attack, I think I still... No, yeah, I had an Endurance in hand because I played it, Shrunk Your Graveyard and... I think I ate your monitor or something like that. I might have killed your Emery actually before you could replay Monitor. Yeah. But I can't I can't exactly remember. But from this moment on, he's attacking with two massive Ursa tokens each turn. And I'm just sitting there shaking like, yep, yeah, I need to jump. So I just jump. I can't even do the Harpy jump, which is like the get out of jail free card, because I was so sure that I wasn't gonna whiff. <laughs> But eventually, we get into a situation where, like, I have a, I have a Grist in play, which is plusing each turn, but it's not producing enough blockers, not fast enough. So, we get into this situation where I'm literally at one life, he has two massive Ursa
1: tokens, and I have one Harpy. <laughs> yeah, because I also Otavara Grist token, I think. To, yeah, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, You did to get a lethal attack. Yeah,
2: so he he even auto my my grist token, and this is so absurd. But you take your turn and you swing with both of your creatures, and I'm like, do or die. Cast uh, I'll cast the uh, birds of paradise for free with a learn, and you force a will. Yeah. and I force a will back. You force my force. It resolves. I play my second bird. Yeah. It resolves. I double block. I have zero creatures in play. I take my turn and I top deck a living wish for a yeah. And after that resolves, I point towards the chalice and said, always chalice check. Yeah. So I did the chalice check and stole the game. Yeah. Oh. And I'm not... Yeah.
1: And and it's... I also like the double bluff of forcing back. <laughs> yeah, like Yeah, yeah, I, that's so nice.
2: I had to I had to force back. Like my idea was I need to force back <laughs> this. Uh because um uh, yeah, then I'll, I'll I'll definitely get a counterspell or something. Or if it resolves, like if if you just would have let it resolve, and uh, just sat on your forces, that might have been the winning plan. Yeah. But yeah, then you got redemption in game two. You just ran me over, <laughs> like Kappa Cannoneer, like massive Ursa token. Like it was not a long game. Yeah, it was it was one of those where Kappa Cannoneer becomes like a nine nine the turn after it came in and just swings with everything and there are no real good blocks for me and it was a pretty short game so we're we're one one in games and this is like the climatic final uh, game of the evening and it's the biggest non-game I've played in such a long time yeah and uh, yeah like Robin kept uh, a hand with only Asian Tomb and a lot of baubles and never found land too. Yep. So that was, uh, yeah, not like you, you can't win one of
1: those games. And it, it just sucked. Yeah, it it was like probably not a good keep. But it was like five redraws or something like that. I could see a lot of cards. Yeah. And I had a great hand if I would just have drawn one mana source. <laughs>
2: yeah, like it, it, we actually came to a situation where I was like, I'm not even going to play my Allurean. Because if you do have a counterspell for my payoff card mm. and you get to play Emery or Psy, that might be how you win this game. So I was just deploying like value creatures. And whenever you were going to make a move, I would move in for the combo. Yeah. But we never reached that, that position because you scooped. Like, it, it, I think I was up at five or six lands due to Uro triggers and stuff like yeah. that. So it's... Yeah it was a It was a pretty long game, but free one. The list felt fine, but i I'm already looking at really nice configurations uh, for my sixty card list
0: So So what about the sideboarding in the learn uh, running up to Gothcon? Do you have any special thoughts there?
2: yeah, so there are there are uh, like some really big tweaks that I want to look at, and one is actually cutting living wishes and cutting. I'm I'm looking at some changes. I might try Risen Reef, uh, which is uh, an oh, element which is just like a, a value creature. It it also because I think my my uh, first vibe will be that endurance will be pretty good in Gothenburg against Delver or against uh, like unfair. So. Yeah the add like the flavor text of endurance is that it's an elemental which also triggers risen reef of course so uh, even if you have to pitch evoke endurance if you have a risen reef in play or plus minus on the exchange because you get the trigger and do your thing so
1: risen reef draws a card when you play an elemental or what does it do
2: yeah so i can i can read the card for you all it's a it's a pretty sweet one i think it came in uh, m20 yeah, yeah yeah from m20 so it's a creature elemental for one green and a blue and it's a one one and whenever risen reef or another elemental enters the battlefield under your control look at the top card of your library if it's a land card you may put it onto the battlefield tapped if you don't p- uh, put a card onto the battlefield put it into your hand so this gets this also gets around hull or narset yep and stuff like that and uh, it kind of reminds me of Coiling Oracle but the reason why Risen Reef might be a bit nicer is they see each other so when you play your second one you get two triggers Uh, because they see each other so it's just a growing and growing effect and uh, with harpy that's very
0: nice that is very nice i've played myself uh, quite a few risen reeves in standard actually when this card was released there was this super abusive super mechanically abusive uh, deck in standard with the risen reeves and a bunch of other cards that was just Mm. you got to draw a lot of cards basically Mm. cool yeah i i have had my
2: eyes on this for quite a while but The thing is, like, for a lot of meta games, when you're look when you're playing learn, it feels wrong to put more value into the deck because the deck is already quite like it's value air until it's not, and putting more value creatures into the deck might feel wrong, but the biggest thing I noticed playing first day and I talked about this with Robin in the car back, is it feels like you have a lot of air. And sometimes you accelerate your mana and you you get, like you like climb the mana curve pretty high and then you're sitting without any mana sink, which I think is one of the biggest benefits of the 80 card version because you can always just put Yorion in your hand and you'll have a five drop guarantee. Mm. Where you have all of these stupid abundant groves and stuff like that. You have something to sink your mana into. And I think the Risen Reef might be one of those cards that's just it's advancing your board state and drawing cards at the same time. So I'll I'll try it out, but we'll see. But I'm I'm definitely looking at cutting Living Wishes and making my sideboard extremely focused beating combo for Gothenburg, because I'm pretty confident that the deck can beat mid-range and control pretty well the delver matchup is always going to be tricky but i might find some extra spicy tech to take care of that
0: cool so victor did you get to play anything i had a hashtag my legacy dad week uh, where i first took care of my ill daughter and then i took ill myself uh, from uh, <laughs> the cold that she had So interacting with people by having a cold is advisable in normal circumstances, but sort of in the world we live in now, it's a huge part. Also, I was really tired as well, so I couldn't have gone even if I sort of had wanted to. But instead, I've been sort of plowing a lot of hours into uh, Slay the Spire which is a couple of year old uh, computer game, sort of a card game single player, Tower Climber really interesting and fun game for those who've played it if you are a magic player you can you benefit a lot from uh, knowing how to make synergies and stuff, so it's been um, it's almost like as a magic player playing Slay the Spy is almost like playing a puzzle game you know, to relax your mind but still sort of hone your skills, uh, so uh, anyone else? See sitting at home with a head cold wanting to play magic and not wanting to log on to the slog of mtg online or the extremely expensive magic arena you should uh, be able to find the status very cheaply because it has a couple of years now uh, since its release so um, go do that it's my advice to you Like to emulate Gandalf Stormcrow. Are you Frankenstein? Is Thor a friend of yours? When you pray to Cthulhu do you feel the tendrils of their children wrapping around your brains? If yes, you are likely to look into playing a variant of the super classic legacy archetype Storm. And if so the most difficult decision will of course be what basic land to play. Never fear the basic land connoisseur panel is here. The deck usually plays some number of basic Island Swamp, there are many individual variations here. So uh, we're going to look at primarily Island Swamp, but know that we are just trying to cover a maximum number of bases here for this this edition. We thought first of sort of, should we do TES? Should we do Ant? Should we do sort of any of the Pauper Storm decks? Uh, I mean, this is a legacy podcast, so why would we? But so we, we've sort of gone in general Storm and Robin. You have played Storm a bit in the past, haven't you? Where are you at for this? All
1: right, so I am really big fan of the storm archetype i would not say that i'm a very good storm pilot though it takes takes a lot of practice to be a good storm pilot but i have played it a little bit i have it sleeved up waiting in my uh, in my gauntlet so to say and uh, like the storm deck of choice nowadays for me is tes i haven't played A and T in a very long time, and uh, TS has gone from a three-color deck to four-color deck to five-color deck, and now back to (laughs) four-color deck again. Like
2: we're far away from Black Belcher. Yeah,
1: very far away from Black Belcher. But uh, like playing so many colors, there's only one basic land, and that is a basic swamp, and. Since you play so many duels, you play like the Taiga, you play Tropical Island, Badlands, Underground Sea like you play one of each of these dual lands to provide for the mana base to be able to cast like cards like Abrupt Decay from the sideboard as well as uh, casting Red Rituals in that deck. So uh, there's only one swamp, that's the only basic land and when you play all these revised duels in my opinion, you should pair it with a revised swamp. So that is the basic land choice of mine for TES. Uh, Dan Fraser doing a great work on on this swamp. It's, an, it's a it's a it's a classic for me. I, I grew up playing this swamp in my Singer Vampire deck. So it's it's a home run for me.
2: I think for me, when it comes to white-bordered basics, these swamps
0: are the prettiest by far. I agree completely. The very black branches of this very black swamp meets the white border really nicely.
2: Yeah, and uh, I, I do like it. I think um, especially like I'm I'm not playing any black border duels. <laughs> I can definitely see myself rocking one of these. It's a nice one and it's like super nice art. It, it'll fit together with all of the rest of the lands.
0: And i love to sort of talk about these, of course... OG basic lands, because every other basic land that's ever going to be made are going to have to interact with these lands. I mean, you're always in a dialogue with these first basics that were. And of course, I mean, they are what almost 30 years old pieces of art now. A lot has happened in, in, in style, in technique, in in what you are allowed to do, basically. But these ones still sort of, they hold up. Thanks for the praise for this. I, I just like,
1: took the one that I played. So, Christopher, which land have you chosen? So,
2: for me, Storm uh, is Ant, mostly. Uh, when I've played Storm most, it's been Ant. But when I think about Storm, I think about Ursa Saga. And I think about the home of Duress. And I think about Reign of Filth and Yogwill. And stuff like that. So I had to pick two basics from Ursa Saga because I grew up with this set when I got my first starter, uh, like one of those starter kits, like with a red Ursa uh, Saga dragon or whatever it's on it the I think Lightning Dragon or Thunder Dragon or something like that. I remember going to the LGS and getting Necropotence <laughs> at my first tournament against some 30-year-old when I was 8. Like Storm has always fascinated me in the weirdest ways and that's like it's 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 very like uh, what I thought legacy was before really diving into it. And like uh, you have this preconceived idea about it's a turn two format and it might be but the average game is going to be for the w- better or worse, a lot longer. But uh, the islands that I picked, or the island that I picked, was Ursa Saga version 335. And this might be the cliche pick, but I really love it. It's like it's a thunderstorm out in the sea. There are v- really violent waves. And this, like some, some wizard, is making this happen, I think. It's, uh, it's accumulating a lot of energy. And uh, I, feel, I feel it's very stormy. It's a very cliche pick, but sometimes the cliche cheese is going to taste the best. And the swamp that I picked was version 340. And this is the kind of rain of filth aspect of the deck. This is where you take that person you don't really like out in a field where no one can hear you <laughs> and you dress the shit out of them. And then your rain of filth tendrils <laughs> them for lethal. Now, I think I think this is like Storm is usually, uh, when you think about it, a very fast deck. When it's going off, like a lot of things are happening at the same time. And this swamp is the exact opposite. This swamp is the build up. It's the discard spell. It's the proactive ways of getting there. And it's... Uh, Eventually, what's gonna kill you? And I think I think this swamp could definitely do that. So those are my picks. What do you think?
1: I love these picks, and uh, I, I completely agree with like how you describe storm. I mean, it's it's actually a deck that doesn't do anything uh, for a lot of turns, especially A and T, especially like the old school A and T during say the Miracle Top era or something like that like you you pass the turn so many turns and then you suddenly just burst off with all your discard spells and and uh, rituals and all of that and like this swamp is completely what is going on in the in the first turns of the game it's the calm before the storm And then, like, when you think about magic and, uh, like, what what you're doing as a wizard, when you are tapping your land, you're actually withdrawing, like, the energy from these lands to produce the powerful spells. And it completely looks like that is what's going on in this ocean that is depicted in in your island of choice. It's like this island has been as calm as the swamp was, but now you are at storm 8 or something like that and you are brainstorming for that tendrils or for a tutor or something. Maybe you are even brainstorming with like sacrifice the lion's eye diamond on the stack, you know, <laughs> we've all been there. We've all been there. like, I'm drawing this energy from this island just to produce this brainstorm that's going to be epic. And this is what happens to an island when a stormer magician is using it for mana. So, really cool choices. I like them very much.
0: Yeah, I mean this Donato Giancola island from Ursas Saga is a classic uh, for a good reason. Uh, enough has been said about this fantastic picture i can just sort of one thing that i never thought of until now is how dark this island is while using only blue like there is oh there's lots of different colors in this picture but all of them are blue it goes from a very light highlight turquoise on the wave tips almost whitish foam to the very dark blue silhouettes of these thunderstorm covered island peaks it's um, uh, it's 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 super nice. It's super nice. And in this, the swamp is a John Avon swamp, and you can see in this picture. I think the style of of painting swamps that became so famous in John Avon, specifically from his first full art, the unhinged. Uh, I think it was the the onset with the super uh, then sought after thin bordered full art basic lands that are just super nice that John Avon drew, and the trees in that swamp have very similar structures to the trees that you see in this swamp. But I think that's interesting because we talked about previously like how how a swamp in magic so often is sort of you're looking at a, a swamp uh, sort of you're at the height almost of the ground and you're sort of looking up at treetops that sort of disappear in the distance. And this is also doing that. You're at the base, base of the swamp. You have these treetops, but they are, I think, done in a very artistically independent way. Like it's John Avon executed classic swamp style, and I think that's uh, that's worth something, and that says a lot about like why John Avon before and after this got to draw so many other lands as well.
2: Yeah, like I think uh, John Avon swamps specifically are. Uh super moody and like immersive when you look at them you're just like oh shit i want to put on wellingtons Mm -hmm. (laughs) or something like that like i need some rubber on my feet right now because like it feels like um i'm there so
0: uh, victor walk us through your picks so for my picks, we're going to go to Invasion. First, Invasion 336 for the island, which is a John Avon island. And then we're going to go to Invasion 341, Rob Alexander and his very famous Invasion swamps. But both of these lands, they need to be Japanese foil. Uh, and that's the, that's the key point here. Because Storm players, to me, I have never met any other archetype experts that are more dedicated to their deck and dedicated to sort of both honing every single card in that 75 to perfection. Like, do I want this in this final slot or do I want that? Like, people who play Storm, they feel so completely aware about what their deck is up to and what the deck is doing. It's it's almost like a caricature of some, you know, meditating monk (laughs) because it's like full concentration and and full almost a physical embodiment of the deck's composition which is so tight and that tightness often i would say uh, looking at the opponents i've had in paper specifically because this is a paper play podcast They also really care about what type of art do I have. I have never seen such a high proportion of of players other than storm players foiling out their decks. Also I have never seen such a high dedication to non-english cards. So these basic lands they need to be foiled Japanese and then I have gone to a set that I also think a lot of in a lot of storm players go for invasion when they go for the lands and but basically, you can do if you're not sort of super much in love with these two particular lands. You can go, in my opinion, for any, all the way back to when foils were first printed, which I think is Ursus Legacy, and I don't know if there are basic foils from Ursus Legacy. I'm, I'm unsure about that actually. But anyway,
2: I think I think there might not be because I think there were, or or it might be. Is that the set when they were doing random? Print runs because I think I think there are like crazy expensive monoliths and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, because the thing is, you have the Ursa Saga basics and they are not foiled because Ursa Saga was not foiled. And then Ursa's Legacy comes and so you have the same basic lands, but I don't know if they put foil basic lands in the packs. Perhaps some of our listeners might know the answer to this. Uh, if you do, please hit us up with uh, whatever reply you might have here but anyway the john avon island very suggestive super calm almost like a beach feeling with uh, some super interesting um, mesa structure in, in sort of a foggy distance rising out of this water which makes you think sort of okay so i have to take my small boat and row across these cliffs out into that super interesting unnatural almost feels like in this picture mesa where a dangerous dark wizard lives in a small hut on top perhaps and then the, the Rob Alexander swamp again we're in the undergrowth but this is way spookier than, than swamps usually are there isn't too much decay happening here as much as sort of post rotten like it feels like a very dry swamp here with gray sort of post undead mist almost like it's it's abandoned by everyone this swamp, but it's still so much action going on in this picture and i like how mr alexander has made that happen like you both have the swampy swamp feeling but there's also something completely different going on at, at the same time what do you think, guys?
1: I like these choices a lot, and I completely agree with the, like the sentiment of of storm players being 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 high on on pimping out the decks. I I completely agree with that, and it's it's funny that I I'm both in the Facebook group and in the Discord channel for storm, and uh, like so many beautiful like uh, deck picked pictures in uh, in in those channels. That's and I I could totally see these lands being in one of those pictures, and. Uh, I really like what you said about the swamp. Like, rotting is a, a biological process, right? But this, this looks like it's completely, like, the void of all biological process. It's just c- completely dead. It's like nothing, no life left in this picture at all. It's only those, like, the structures of the tree. But the tree is not really alive anymore. It's just there, like, f- facilitated almost. And, uh, like, the island is also really cool. It makes you wonder what, why is that... Like a uh, big mesa structure in the background, so vague. And and one one funny thought that struck me was that maybe this is what it feels like when your opponent is making a ladder drop. <laughs> you're like you're like standing here looking at the one island, and then uh, is there another island appearing here <laughs> out of thin air? <laughs> but uh, yeah, r- really nice looking lands and uh, g- great choices.
2: Yeah, and uh, like I I also. Think that uh, storm players are quite dedicated, but for me, the language that storm players uh, pimp out with, I think I think I've seen more super committed German storm decks, like German like Germans uh, storm cards. I'm not really sure why. Maybe Lion's Eye Diamond is in German. Is it in Japanese? I don't think so. Maybe listeners t- like educate us. <laughs> but I I definitely think that a lot of storm players really put time and energy into finding the right fits and i really really like this swamp in particular because like you mentioned uh, there's a lot going on i kind of feel like it's a mirage or a distraction going on with the mist and the uh, like obscene tree just being there maybe this is the like the bait force bait ritual going on mm. you're not really sure like because of the fat mist and stuff like that, is this a bait ritual or should I actually force this? I think this is one of those ambiguous cards. And I, I think it's, uh, depending on the storm pilot, it can really fit that person's like personality and playstyle with the deck. So it gets a f- big thumbs up.
0: Actually, I'm quite sure that the Mirage is the first proper Japanese language uh, set that was printed.
2: All right. But yeah, also, I, I, I just, speaking of Storm players, there is one shout out that I want to make for a, a Storm pilot that's not really active anymore in the community, uh, Jonathan Alexander. And the reason why I want to bring this up is I think it's the only person that I've seen who played black border duels with white framed, like white bordered basics. And that's just be- beautiful. <laughs> to my memory, that's the case. But uh, it was
0: beautiful. Yeah,
1: that's a few extra like uh, win chance percentage points. Yeah. From just hitting <laughs> your opponent with your lance.
0: And, and as we say, never try to confirm a story as good as that one. So we're just not going to go down that fact-checking line here. <laughs> and that is all we have for this week. We hope you have enjoyed this episode as much as we have enjoyed recording it. As we always if you like the show tell a friend you think you should listen and if you want to say hi to us or to suggest something for the show that we should bring up please join the Discord server you can find the link in the episode description also if you are going to gothcon do let us know and we'll make sure to send out some extra high high fives in addition to the discord you can hit us up on twitter at sthlm legacy Stockholm legacy we are also personally present on some social media Robin where can our listeners find you you can find me on the discord channel
2: you'll find me there as well and also on twitter at monolithmtg
0: i'm in the discord as well and on twitter under disco drogo and that is the end of the 42nd episode of stockholm legacy report thank you robinson Sien and Christopher wikström warm thanks to you for listening the Great fairness has written their music. You can find their work on Spotify. Until next time, remember that Douglas Adams tried to reiterate his work again and again and again. And I think that's what makes a good magic player. So, uh, good night.